Eight years ago, on a Thursday night in this very room, sat 75 moms who were attending a very, very important meeting while I was somewhere else in the church with a group of middle school guys leading a Bible study. We always like to start out the Bible studies with something fun. So that week we were playing the Ace of Spades. You might know the game. You got a deck of cards. Every guy goes around and draws it until the one guy draws the Ace of Spades. You don't want to draw the Ace of Spades because if you draw the Ace of Spades, you have to do the agreed upon dare that we as a group agreed on before. So a little skinny, short, sixth grade blonde boy with glasses drew the Ace of Spades and the whole room went wild. He then proceeded to put on a football helmet, walk right over to those sanctuary doors, swing open the door and, right, and walk right down the middle of the aisle during this mother's meeting. He then walked out the side, walked out the door, and we were standing at these windows laughing uncontrollably. Why do I tell you that story? Because I used to work here and we used to have a lot of fun, and now I don't work here. Is, is there a correlation between that story and why I don't work here? <laughs> I, I also told you that story because um, I knew if I got up here and started sharing my heart with you, um, I would cry. Um, I got my tears out of me during the first worship song this morning. There's something about that song, those guitars, that piano that just brought me back to being a college student here, um, learning about Christ, um, having a family here at Grace um, that took me in as a college student. Um, and then being a youth director here um, and sitting down here every week and worshiping with so many of you. I've already got the tears out, um, but I thought it was a good story, so I wanted to tell us that. Um, but I can't tell you how much um, it means for me um, to be here this morning. Um, eight or 10 years later, um, after I left, um, I haven't stopped praying for Grace Church. I haven't stopped praying uh, for Danville, Kentucky. I haven't stopped rooting um, for the elders here, uh, for the pastors here. Um, and thankfully, we stayed in touch. Um, so it is an honor and a privilege to be here with you this morning. And thank you for so many years of investing in me. Let me pray for us, um, and we'll uh, dive into the sermon. So let's pray. God, um, here we all are to, all together um, before your word. Uh, would you speak to us this morning, Lord? Talking about money and possessions uh, can be uncomfortable um, and even triggering to those um, in the church who heard too much about money. But I pray that this morning, Lord, um, that you would speak to us from your word. And may the meditations of our hearts and the words of my mouth be pleasing in your sight alone. Amen. So I've got a lot of fears, but one of my worst fears is carbon monoxide poisoning. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but carbon monoxide is so scary. I mean, some people call it the silent killer. There's this carbon monoxide in the air and you're breathing it in and you don't smell it, you can't see it, 
You can't taste it. And most of the times people say that you don't even get symptoms when you're getting carbon monoxide poisoning. You just breathe it in and you fall asleep and then you die. I am terrified of carbon monoxide poisoning. <laughs> I was telling my wife this story and she was like, gosh, Cody, like, I need to go check and see if we have a carbon monoxide detector now. <laughs> and we didn't. Um, but a carbon monoxide detector is the only way that you can sense if there's carbon monoxide um, in the area that you're in. And when the levels get too high, it beeps and alert you. I think that Jesus' passage on money and possessions this morning um, can kind of be like a carbon monoxide detector. And I think that a love and an obsession with money and possessions can kind of be like carbon monoxide poisoning. It's happening to us. It's infected us. But we haven't even realized that we're dying a slow death by loving and being attached to possessions. But this is a Christian sermon. Um, so I'm not just going to talk about our problem with money and possessions. And we're not just going to say that Jesus is a carbon monoxide detector who helps us detect our issues, but Jesus himself is the cure for our carbon monoxide poisoning. This is less a sermon on what you should do with your money, and it's more of a sermon on why we know what we should do with our money, and we still don't do it. So we're going to take uh, Jesus' teaching in three steps this morning. Shane Terrell loves alliteration. I love alliteration. So we're going to take it in three steps this morning. Jesus' command, our conundrum, and the cure. Command, conundrum, and cure. And if you're in middle school or high school and you hear the word conundrum and you're not sure what that means, it just means a confusing problem that you can't really get to the bottom of, like when you get caught doing something. Um, you're in a conundrum. Um, use that word on an essay and your English teacher will love you. So <laughs> command, conundrum, and cure. Jesus' command. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moths and vermins do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. There's no doubt in this verse that Jesus is making a demand of his followers. He's asking us to not do something and instead do something else. But I wanted to focus on first, not the command itself, but the tone and the style that Jesus uses as he makes this command. Jesus is the man who commanded the waves and the wind to stop, and they immediately obeyed him. This Jesus has the right to come to us and lay down the law about money and possessions and just move on. But Jesus doesn't do that. Instead, he gives us common sense reasons to aid us with this weighty command. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy, where thieves can break in and steal. Jesus' reasoning is super clear. Don't treasure things that decay and can be taken away. Treasure things that will last 
and can't be taken away. For Jesus' original audience, clothes, food, and other valuables were a lot harder to get and they were a lot harder to replace. So they were much more valuable to his original audience. We usually don't see clothes and food as treasures. They're kind of more like basic necessities. But for them, it was very much treasures. For us today, Jesus might say something like, to the car guy um, about his treasured, expensive truck. He might say something like, don't get too attached to that nice truck. Don't you know it's gonna get rust spots on it? Don't you know that someone can steal it and scratch it and wreck it? Don't you know that it's gonna lose its value right when you drive it off the lot? Don't you know that it will end up in the dump? And if you put your significance in this truck, you're in a vulnerable spot. Most things we treasure are kind of like a flower that's plucked from the ground. Immediately when we possess them, they begin to die in our hands and wither away. But treasures can be more than things. Take a job, for example. If your job title or your career is your treasure, you're only a bad season of performance or a tough boss away from decay and loss. Jesus, in our passage, although he is commanding us, he's like a wise and caring financial advisor saying, don't invest in this. It never works out. Instead, invest in this. You won't regret it. It'll last. Did you hear his command? Do you hear Jesus' heart for you? Jesus wants to convince you to invest in a better future, a better treasure, an incorruptible treasure. But what does it mean to store up treasures on earth instead of treasures in heaven? I told you, this is not mainly a sermon about what Christians are called to do with their money. But I can't completely dodge that question because it's here in the text. So simply put, Jesus commands Christians to forsake hoarding up possessions and using money for things like our own comfort, control, power, pleasure, or status, and instead to use everything God has given them to make eternal friends. Luke 16, 1 through 13 is one of my favorite places in Scripture where Jesus talks about what to actually do with your money. I like it because it's kind of a provocative story that has a profound lesson. In this passage, Jesus tells an imaginary story of an unjust servant who is really shady with his master's resources. This servant knows he's about to get fired, so he uses the master's money to make friends with other people so that he'll have friends once he's done managing the money. At the end of the story, we think that the manager is gonna be mad with the servant when he finds out how he's been using his money. But in a shocking twist, the master commends the servant as being wise. Jesus relates this servant's temporary job to manage the master's money with our temporary lives. And Jesus' point is this. Christians are called to use everything God their master has given them to make, to make eternal friends with people. Here's a couple examples of what that could look like. We use our houses and boats to build relationships with non-believers. That's evangelism. 
We invest in meals and hospitalities um, for our coworkers while telling them about Jesus. That's evangelism. We invest our money in growing deeper in Christ with other Christians. That's discipleship. We spend less money on ourselves and more on our poor neighbors and enemies, praying that their felt needs will be met and that their eternal needs will eventually be met. That's mercy ministry and mission. We support missionaries in world-renewing work. We sink our finances and our God-given skills to wipe evil off of the scene in Danville, Kentucky. And we build things up in our city to promote goodness, beauty, and flourishing for all people. The possibilities of how we can use our possessions and money are endless. But they're just tools for making eternally impacting relationships. A short motto for Christians and their possessions could be something like this. Everything we have and are is for enriching others. Imagine being in heaven one day around a bonfire with a bunch of people from Grace Church. And you're talking to some Christians from, say, Western Africa or North Dakota or maybe Southern Iraq, and you're telling those Christians around the bonfire how much fun you had in blessing Danville, Kentucky. And then someone in the fire stands up and says, yeah, you guys are from Danville, Kentucky. I'm from Danville, Kentucky too. I remember when you paid for the new tires on my car when I was in a tough spot. And knowing you cared, I came to later find out that God cares about me. And then another person stands up and says, hey, I'm from Danville, Kentucky too. And because you always had a bowl of M&Ms on your kitchen table when I came in, and you always had a cup of coffee for me, and you let me use your washer and dryer, I heard about Christ. I know as you're sitting around the fire, you would probably think those, those uh, situations might have been costly to you, but I promise you're not gonna regret how you spent your resources when you hear those stories around the campfire in heaven. That's what I mean about making eternal friends with our possessions. And that's part of Jesus' vision for our finances and possessions. It's a beautiful vision. It's a good vision. But I want to ask us this morning, why don't any of us do that very well? And why is it so tough to use the things that God has given us for the good of other people? Why are we so attached to our stuff? Why are we so obsessed over money, status, possessions, and positions? Why are we so anxious about our savings accounts, our investments accounts, and the troubling state of our economy? Why are we so bad at helping the poor and being generous? The answer is right here in our text, and it's our second point, the conundrum. Following this winsome command about money and possessions, Jesus drops this extremely deep insight on us. It's in verse 21. He says, For where your treasure is, there your heart is also. It's interesting because Jesus locates our conundrum in the depths of our soul, in our heart. There's nothing evil about having money 
or having nice clothes or having a, a really good position or a really good job. All those things in and within themselves are totally cool. But things get a little bit wonky in our hearts when we attach our significance and our meaning and our satisfaction and the weight of our whole being on those things and ask them to do something for us that only God can do. It's a classic love problem. We're just in love with the wrong thing. In our passage, Jesus says that you can either serve God or serve money. That's a weird thing to say. Hi, I'm Cody. I serve the master of money. No, nobody says that. But Jesus knows that when we chase money and expend energy on money, because we, can th we do that because we think it can give us access to all different kinds of treasures that we really long for. And here's how it works with our money and possessions. Our surface level spending habits, investing habits, saving habits, they always reveal what we love, what, what we're attached to, what we're putting our hope in, what's important to us. A few years ago, I was uh, interviewing for a pastoral ministry job, um, and this kind of weird guy asked me a kind of weird question. He said, what do you really enjoy spending money on? My immediate thought was, what does this have to do with anything? I'm not applying to be a banker. <laughs> but for him, like Jesus, it really wasn't a money question. This man was really trying to get at the core of what I treasured. If he, if he would have asked me what was important to me, I would have given the answer, God and helping others. But this man knows that money talks. Money reveals what is beneath the surface. And the question he was asking me was very deep and very personal. And I wonder how you would answer that question. What do you like to spend money on? What do you like to just blow it on? What do you not even have to think about um, and the money is already out of your pocket? Honestly, answering these questions will reveal what's important to you, what you're really chasing after. For me, it's books. But I'm going to give you another example right now. It's also fast food, um, junky treats, coffee, and adult beverages. Like, that sounds harmless. Like, Cody likes to spend his money on fast food burgers. Man, I love a good fast food burger. Who's with me? <laughs> but if I probe beneath the surface of that, um, it might reveal something deeper. And of course it does. Um, for me, a lot of the time, junk food soothes me momentarily. Um, these treats that I get are, are rewarding to me on tough days and they make me feel a little better. And I'll give you another example with these treats and stuff. Like um, I'm a very, like I come across as very calm and cool and like collected. I'm not. Um, I'm actually very very anxious in social situations, um, extremely anxious. And it goes without failing that if I'm at a party or a big social gathering that um, I'm gonna do what my wife calls nervous eating or nervous drinking. 
I've made myself sick doing this before, <laughs> not even realizing it, just eating, eating, or drinking, drinking, um, just to make myself more feel less uncomfortable in a social situation. But by following um, this line of thinking, um, I can find that there's some deeper issues uh, behind my fast food, eating, comfort, coffee, adult beverage, soothing, spending patterns. There's, there's an idolatry or an or a overlove for comfort. Um, and a lot of time, I'm anxious because I want everyone to like me. Um, and I'm soothing that with, with food. What about for you? Um, what do you like spending money on? Um, what do you maybe spend a little bit too much on? And follow the money trail, but go even deeper and ask yourself, why is this so important to me? Um, what is this thing um, that I'm chasing after with my money um, going to do for me? What do I want it to do for me? Because there's nothing more important than discovering what you actually treasure. It reveals your heart. Um, and by tracing our treasure, we can, we can understand what fuels us. But maybe you're saying, I'm, I'm very frugal, um, and I've been faithfully investing in my retirement account since I was eight years old. <laughs> I have a really big savings account. Well, I, I just ask you to examine yourself too. Because um, sometimes um, what looks like frugal saving or investing for the future, which are very good things, when they're really examined, could reveal a desire of something deeper. Maybe something like saving up so much money that you can never encounter something in your life that's outside of your control. Or maybe it's something else. What if this type of treasure problem is making you shrivel up with anxiety about the economy and your future and rendering you essentially useless for the kingdom of God and the good of others? There's a big difference between saving up for a rainy day and treasuring safety like this. It's a hard thing to discern. Um, it's really deep. And that's what Jesus is trying to get us to go. He's saying it's deeper than money. Um, our hearts are in it. Our loves are in it. Our desires are in it. Jesus acknowledges that these hard issues are, are really hard to see and to admit. Uh, that's what Jesus is getting at when he talks about the unhealthy eye. Did you ever read this passage and you're like, clearly Jesus is talking about money up here and down here. But what in the world is he talking about in the middle with this unhealthy eye, letting light in your body type of stuff? Well, simply put, Jesus is just saying that, that greed and selfishness, um, and if our, if our vision is focused um, on anything except for Jesus, that it darkens us on the inside. It makes us more selfish and more greedy and more hungry. And, and an eye that is unhealthy is, is a blind eye where you can't see. So it's extremely hard for us to see um, that we might have a treasure problem, that the way we uses, use our money might have possession of us. But I'm giving you this morning a way to examine your heart um, by following the money trail. And when we look, who 
of us is without a treasure problem when we really get beneath the surface. Jesus sees our treasure, our treasure problems. He sees our darkened hearts, even if we don't see it. And maybe this morning he wants us to see it or start to talk about it. So my final point is the cure. This is moving along pretty quick, right? <laughs> I don't know. Hopefully. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, I can win today if I lift up Jesus and if I, if I beat Shane and Kevin uh, in the lowest amount of time of preaching. <laughs> we'll see about that. <laughs> so what's the cure for people who treasure the wrong things, who are enslaved to money, and who can barely recognize it? We've talked about money, um, but Jesus talks about it in that last little verse. It's actually the first time he mentions the word money. He's been talking about treasures. And now at the end of our passage, he starts talking about money. And money is what so many of us seek after to obtain the treasures that we desire. And we seek after it so much that Jesus says, we are serving money. But we all know that we can never get secure enough. We can never get enough money to be comfortable enough. We can never spend enough money to feel beautiful enough. We can never make enough money to feel important enough. And that's what the pursuit of money does, is it enslaves us. So one part of the cure is to stop serving money and to make money serve God. This is extremely painful to do because our heart is wrapped up in our treasures and our money. But there's a sense of the only way to change what we treasure and serve is to outwardly and painfully give money until our heart eventually conforms. There was a study, um, you guys have probably heard of this, that 95% of the people who win the lottery I mean, we're talking big bucks, like millions upon millions of dollars. 95% of the people who win the lottery are absolutely more miserable than, when they, than before they won the lottery. And 5% were actually happier than when, before they uh, won the money. And what they found out in this study that um, the 5% the that were happy were actually uh, the ones who gave away uh, most of the money or who used most of the money for other people's flourishing. It was ironic because when they focused on the flourishing of others, they flourished on the inside and everybody won. It's kind of like that with our, with our grip on money. Um, just like getting more and more stuff or more and more money births the desire to get more and more, giving more and more money produces the desire to give away more and more. It can really get fun and addicting, just in the same way that it's addicting to gather up and hoard possessions, it can get addicting and fun in the way of giving away our possessions and using them for eternal friendships. But you don't just do that to be cured. Um, you have to hear what Jesus has done for you. 
to really be cured. Think about this. God, who is the creator and owner of all the riches in the world, left the riches and treasures of heaven and came down to earth. And when he came down to earth as a man, he lived his life in abject poverty, constantly enriching other people. At the end of his life, he had invested so much in other people that he only had one possession left, the clothes on his body. And the soldiers who put him up on the cross took his last possession from, us, from him and rolled dice over it to see who could keep it. Jesus was stripped. He was nailed to the cross. He gave the most treasurable and precious thing he could give to us, his blood, his life, so that he could not only tell us that we're his treasure, but he could show us with giving everything. Here's how the apostle Paul describes what Jesus did. And as you hear this closing verse, I want you to just think about if you feel like if you feel like you're poor um, in your ability uh, to love God, um, if you feel like you are rich um, with things, but you are poor in love or if you feel like you're trapped in the pursuit um, to obtain treasures, hear what the Apostle Paul says Jesus did for poor people like us, poor in love, choosing the wrong treasure, not treasuring God. He says this, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our sake he became poor so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. That you may be possessed by a giving master and enriched by him in ways that you can never dream of. That's the good news this morning. Let's pray. Father God, um, we thank you that you weren't in love um, with treasures, um, but that you gave it all up to make us your treasure. Lord, I, I pray for my friends here um, and for all of us, Lord, that we would be gripped by the reality that you showed us how treasurable we are to you by giving it all. And that in some kind of response, Lord, that we would give to others in the same way. Thank you for your word, and we worship you this morning. Amen.